watching on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the binge in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte and today we have two movies for you. The Favorite and Roma. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kinda meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. That mess. Jason, how you doing? What's up, bud? Oh, I'm doing okay. Uh, it's been a little while. Uh, I think we're, we're taking kind of a, a week off here and there this, mm. this this holiday movie season because there's a couple of weeks where there's just really nothing opening, which is super bizarre. That's strange. It's happening again next Friday. We're going to not do an episode next week either. Um, and then just that super annoying thing of when the, like the final two or three weekends in a December will each have like seven movies mm-hmm. opening that are all major and deserve to be discussed. And we'll have to make a lot of Sophie's choices about what we're going to cover. We always pick the girl. Always pick the girl. Always pick the girl. Yeah. Just like when I'm picking my character in Super Mario. You always <laughs> pick the girl. Always. Um, well, as we are talking right now, uh, Thanksgiving was just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for one, went to Salt Lake City with Scott to see his family, and uh, we were there Monday to Friday. And oh, uh, wow, that's a long trip. Yep, we went for the whole shebang. Um, and uh, you know, I feel like I've kind of become that person who you count on to bring screeners with them wherever they go at this time of the year. Mm. And sure enough, I brought a little pile of them with me to Utah. Just for everyone listening that um, uh, is part of the film critic circle, um, as you know, that is illegal. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think the film critic circle people care. But yes, if you're with the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Then mm, right. If you're with the MPAA if, or, or the if, local police. If you're with Interpol, um, mm-hmm, then call Mossad. me. <laughs> call me. CIA. Uh, FBI, actually. So I was like, okay, so let me just try to, like, ideally, I, I would have had a lot of, like, family titles I could have brought. Um, but, uh, you know, because he has a young niece and nephew. But all I could really dig up from what I'd already received was Isle of Dogs. And oh. so I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's pretty much a family movie. Uh, you know, it's like Fantastic Mr. Fox. That was fun for all ages. I'll just bring that. And um, because I think that part of living in a weird childless city bubble uh, is having no frame of reference for what is and is Mm. not appropriate for children. And um, and so I just come barreling into the ward house um, with my Isle of Dogs screening and the little niece and nephew, Braxton and Brianna, are like, what do you have? What do you have? Is it what do you have for kids? Have any kids movies? I'm like, I sure do. It's called Isle of Dogs. And they're like, yay! And so we sit down as a, as a big ward family to watch Isle of Dogs. And the process of gradual alienation. <laughs> because it, they were upset about the whitewashing. The, the whitewashing was really bothered them. The alienation, the sort of sense of wounded betrayal that began to <laughs> fill the air. People looking at me sideways like, what is this? His dad at one point just said, this is weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, true. and then later, uh, and then I don't think, I think we didn't make it all the way through. And then Braxton, who's eight, um, said very firmly, that was not funny. Uh, and it was not entertaining. Is Braxton's middle name Anthony? <laughs> Why? It's not, it's not Braxton Tony. 
Is that, oh, mm, I see what you're doing there. I like it. I'm here for a Braxton reference. I mean. Yeah, no, I may no? have been. No, it could be. I hope so. I mean, if it isn't, I'm going to make that recommendation. Can you, uh, yeah, can you just like get that up? So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, but aside from doing my best to wreck the Ward family Thanksgiving by showing them a weird fucking stop motion animated movie about a white man's Japanese fetish. <laughs> um, it was a fine week. It was a fine week. Um, and really, you know, I had a, a horrifying revelation just moments ago that's kind of wiped the slate clean in terms of nice, pleasant, recent memories. Oh, no. What did um, you do? Well, <clears throat> today I was, as usual, on Vulture uh, looking at, you know, I normally have no fewer than probably upwards of 15 to 20 tabs open in my browser from Vulture of articles that I just open day to day and don't have time to read and just keep open. And then you copy and paste parts of the movie reviews and then use it here in art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I mean, I have a process mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would ask that you respect that. I, I do. And uh, so I was in the middle of reading um, the actually Vulture's review with Sandy Tan, the director of Shirkers. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I got a little pop up that blocked the screen and said, you have reached your monthly limit of free articles. My blood ran cold. Censorship. And it's had suddenly, suddenly, it had the New York Magazine logo right there looking back at me. And it's like, subscribe now, $5 a month uh, to New York Magazine for unlimited access to Vulture. What? I was like, oh, how dare you do this to me? I, I'm like, I've been such a loyal reader of all your free content <laughs> but all the same my clicks have generated your ad revenue and now you ask me for money listen i don't pay for my news and i don't pay for my porn and i'm not going to start now but with that said both are incredibly amateur yes exactly i have lots of wrong ideas about both <laughs> and uh but i probably actually will have to start paying for vulture because i am dependent on them Today's reviews are going to be very thin. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I have to come up with my own ideas. What the fuck? It's going to be tough. I'm already doing that thing where, you know, you alternate between browsers, between, like, Firefox and Chrome. Like, <laughs> go over to the other one. Yeah, um, like a, a VPN. I literally had to do that for Sandy Tan. I had to take it over to over to Firefox and open what? it in that one. Walking over to your coworker's computer and just <laughs> logging, <laughs> logging in. I'm like, I want to pay the $5. Uh, wow. You uh, know, the toughest part for me about the subscription stuff is that... I don't mind paying for the things I want to read, um, but I don't want to have to log into 50 different... I wish there was like one app that was like a subscription manager for all of like mm. print, me- you know, online media. Because right. I like, I subscribe to Wired and I subscribe to the New York Times, but like every time I get a new phone, which is very often, <laughs> uh, or a new computer, frequent. which is even more frequent, because uh, I'm constantly breaking both Several of them. times this week, lots of throwing. Really, so much throwing. It's my throwing computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I broke all the throwing computers. <laughs> um, uh, but I was just to sign back in, and then if I like try to share, because I, I use like a reader app, and then it's like you log in there, and then it, and then you get the pop ups all the time, and I have to re log in, I forget my password. Oh, that's horrible. And then if so, that stops me from like signing up for more services. Um, yeah. And there needs to be like the a hassle. third party. The hassle. It really is the hassle. Uh-huh. Also, for you, the, uh, the just the cheapness of, mm-hmm. of you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just weird because they didn't, like, announce it. Yeah. It's, it didn't, like, suddenly say, because I think the thing that probably happened hilariously 
is that the policy just literally took effect today and today alone i hit the limit of monthly mm-hmm. articles in the same in the same window because the new york times are stingy as fuck they let you read like five a month mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and maybe so you are like really caught up in the first week of a month and then at the end of it you don't know basically shit about what's going on. not a clue not a clue <laughs> just peeking over people's shoulders on the bus constantly just doing you what gotta go can. in and just print it out and then go to your coworker's computer and print it out yeah you know go to facebook then get distracted look at my old albums don't even get news from there Mm-mm. uh real tough uh so that was a horrifying moment for me um and i appreciate everyone's concern and kind notes because i don't know how i'm gonna bounce back from this it's where I go for my housewives recaps. Oh, I'm very I'm so upset. sorry. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, anyway, that's what's up with me. Rebecca, what's up with you? Someone had just asked me if I read reviews. And I don't because uh, it reminds me of playing Scrabble, which I'm also terrible at and hate doing. And the, and the reason is because when I look at Scrabble, you know, you get the first set of uh, tiles. And like I imagine a word I want to make with those tiles. And then the, for the rest of the game, I just try to figure out how to make that word. <laughs> and it's usually like incredibly pretentious and like probably impossible to build with the number of letters I have. I will get the word Fidelio on this board <laughs> if it kills me. Turns out it's the proper name. Um, and, and that's it. So I spend the whole game doing nothing except for just like being super frustrated. And that's why I, I don't read reviews because I'm like, I can't think of outside of what I've seen. So I just try not to look at anything. But this week I did see um, a video um, and it is by Nerdwriter. Have you ever seen him? He has a YouTube channel. He like breaks down a lot of uh, movies and pop culture things. Uh-uh. And this one was fair game because the movie came out a long time ago. Okay. But he um, he has this like eight minute long video about Mulholland Drive. Oh. That is so good. And it just talks about, it talks mostly about the uh, the scene when she's going for for the audition mm-hmm. and just about how the whole Great movie scene. is this this repetition of this pattern of uh giving you full awareness of of the fact that you're like going to be fooled mm. but then making you forget that instantly and then tricking you again and it's just constantly <laughs> tricking you again tricking you again right because it happens in the club it oh happens there it happens when you go out when you get scared outside of the restaurant this was an aha moment for you it really was and it's just like that is the beauty of that movie is that every time it, it does it tricks you into feeling something for nothing caught me again every time <laughs> I love being made a fool of. Wow. Um, anyway, so, so I highly recommend watching it. It's a really good uh, breakdown of Mahola Drive. And, and and just like an appreciation of it. And this thing about not reading reviews, are you saying that you're too impressionable when you read them? Like they just imprint on your brain and suddenly your own opinion has been lost and you just are parroting back what you've just read? It's not so much that I am... Well, yeah, it, it is that. Or I will only think in reaction to that. Mm, mm-hmm. And so it, I feel like even if I end up coming to the same conclusion, which always feels foolish where I'm like, oh, yeah. look at this great idea. But you're like, right. yeah, that's what they said in Vulture, of course. Um, <laughs> I feel like a little silly, but at the same time, I'm like, but I feel like yeah. that means something. Um, and it, and oh. then I'll read what they say to like, you know, where they were smarter than me. Right. Um, yes, I've, I've seen, I've definitely seen your war face you come in with sometimes when you've like intentionally read something very like combative about something <laughs> and you're just like, mm, you're like, I soaked it up and I'm ready to fucking fight about it. I'm ready to fight about it. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's why I don't like it when you go on Twitter. Well, I try not to. <laughs> Shall we do the movies this week? Let's do it. Uh, the first movie of the week is our pick of the week, The Favorite. In the early 18th century, England is at war with the French. Nevertheless, duck racing and pineapple eating are thriving. 
A frail Queen Anne occupies the throne, and her close friend, Lady Sarah, governs the country in her stead, while tending to Anne's ill health and mercurial temper. When a new servant, Abigail, arrives, her charm endears her to Sarah. Sarah takes Abigail under her wing, and Abigail sees a chance to return to her aristocratic roots. So, fun fact, I'm about to see this movie in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, and that is making this so difficult for me uh, because I like this very much. Mm. And but I am now faced with like a, an actual real time situation where I could ruin a movie for someone that I want them to like by talking about it too nicely, despite the fact that that's literally what I'm supposed to do on this podcast. Oh. So I'm in a pickle. I'm in a pickle. What are you going to do? Can um, I just take my headphones off? I mean, you just talk at the microphone and I leave. I'm going to, yeah, maybe just do an upside down day thing where I'm just like, oh, so bad. And just hope (laughs) that the audience (laughs) understands that the opposite of what I say is what I really mean. Mm. Boy, oh boy, was this the movie I needed uh, at this point in the movie year. I felt like it took me fucking forever to see it. It was definitely a movie that I assumed I'd be seeing at TIFF this year, where Mm -hmm. I'd seen Yorgos Lanthimos' last two films, The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, But no, uh, the distributor, Fox Searchlight, held out uh, because they had secured an opening night deal at the New York Film Festival, and Mm. so they had to withhold it from the other festivals in North America. And, um, And so I finally just saw it last Saturday. And you know... I liked it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it very much. Uh, It is... Are we taking back to lobster times? We're taking back... um, We're taking back to the 18th century. Mm -hmm. I mean, lobster lobster style humor. Lobster style humor. Yeah. This is... um, Well, did you see Sacred Deer? I did, yeah. Okay. Which Um, wasn't funny. Which, no. It had had some funny bits. They had like some... some, Some really out there dialogue that they presented in a really flat way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I would say this is... It's broader and more accessible than his other movies have been. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is funny. I would say it's, it's probably... I don't know if I could say it's funnier than The Lobster, but it's more easily funny than Lobster. It's mm. the kind of movie that like more people be able to get into, whereas The Lobster, you know, I think was too intensely weird. It was so for, intensely weird. For some audiences. And I think a, a lot of the humor of The Lobster comes from the fact that there was no expectation of it to be funny at all. Right. Every time I kept being surprised, even, oh, maybe I'm just an idiot. Maybe I'm just constantly surprised at everything because mm-hmm. I don't really recognize patterns. But yeah. in that movie, it just, it, it takes a while to build up. And then you're like, oh, that, wait, that was a jo- Oh, my God, this movie is hilarious. But it's a slow, very slow burn. Yeah. And I would say that one way The Favorite improves upon the lobster viewing experience is that many of the, the, the lobsters, I wouldn't call them detractors, but not full fans, would say that they loved the first half of the movie, mm. but they didn't like the second half mm-hmm. um, because then we, you know, we lose the kind of hilarious satirical vibe of how things were going on in this like state-sponsored resort for single people to pair <laughs> off, and suddenly we're like in this much more anarchic space mm-hmm. in the woods um, with these rebel activists who are going to try to, you know, burn it all down, and it's less funny mm-hmm. uh, at that point. I mean, it's also still very funny. It's still pretty funny, um, but it's just much darker. Yeah. Um, yes. Whereas in The Favorite, I would say that it's more even mm. uh, kind of the whole time. Uh, so, uh, and you have, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because you have what looks like 
a familiar thing we've all seen before. You know, it's like a period mm-hmm. costume drama that takes place in a royal court. It's not even the only one this year. We also have Mary Queen of Scots. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very much through the Lanthimos lens. Um, quite literally through a weird lens because they make surprising use of a, of a fisheye lens oh. for, for a lot of scenes in this movie, which, um, which Lanthimos had to do with speaking to the themes of how these women are surrounded by all this opulence, but mm. yet they're also intensely alone. Mm. So they're in these, these, you know, giant living in the lap of luxury, um, you know, in positions of great power and influence, but also very, very much alone. And uh, so they use a fisheye lens to kind of mm. exaggerate that, that visually, uh, which is an interesting choice. So this movie is pretty much uh, all the primary cast is female, right? You have Olivia Coleman mm-hmm. and you have Rachel Weiss, mm-hmm. you have Emma Stone. Um, there are some men in this movie. Uh, Nicholas Holt is in it. He is a foppish mm. delight. <laughs> um, and this fall season's Jessica Chastain, Mr. Joe Alwyn, um, <laughs> who is Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Uh, oh, really? He played the rapist in Boy Erased. Uh, he mm. is in this. He's also in Mary Queen of Scots. Also, spoiler about Boy Erased. <laughs> I don't know how people don't know this. Uh, maybe because I've had to watch the movie three times now. So I'm just like, everyone's seen Boy had Erased. Had to? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, and then he's in Mary Queen of Scots and he's also in Operation Finale. So, so he's also this season's, uh, Timothy Chalamet and Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges. Yeah. Yeah. He's suddenly everywhere. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so he's in it. So it's not just the ladies, but they are very much the three, uh, central characters. It's all about them. It's all about the triangle that they form. Any, oh, any, uh, any thoughts on, and, and if this is a, uh, this piece has a feminist <clears throat> angle? Um, I think that it's not really so much concerned with, I mean, it's feminist in the sense that it's entirely about female characters who are in positions of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not really, it's more concerned with the psychology of their dynamic. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's very darkly comic. So I wouldn't say that. You, you're, you look so excited. <laughs> You look so happy. It's very darkly comic. And um, so I wouldn't say that it's it's not a movie with, you know, with a sort of, um, you know, socially conscious agenda per se. Mm. Um, it definitely feels very like wickedly fun at times. Like I think the best comparison for it is it's like it's all about Eve crossed with Barry Lyndon. That's, <laughs> that's, basic, okay. that's okay. basically what you're signing up for by going okay. to see this movie in the best possible way. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it's, the, the 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 relationship between these three women is very fraught and uh, it does <clears throat> you know circle back to competition and sabotage uh because we have uh you know the Rachel Rachel Vice's character Sarah is you know is like the right hand woman confidant of the queen but then Abigail Emma Stone comes along and kind of observes that and is like oh well then why don't I just get in there why don't I just you know ingratiate myself and fuck over my cousin and and I'll be the new preferred lady. Uh, so, so it's hard to call anything, mm. you know, feminist mm-hmm. when it's more of like a female rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, it's far from like cheap camp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's beautifully acted by, uh, by the three of them. Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz, of course, were also in the lobster. Right. Yeah. But, but so this, some favorites. And this is the first time Emma Stone's worked with Lanthimos. No Colin Farrell. Not this time. It's kind of a bummer. Sorry, buddy. I guess he's too busy <laughs> shooting widows. Right? 
But uh, love that movie. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, have we mentioned it? I don't know if you've heard us talk, we didn't talk about, about it Widows, very much, but it's think. very good. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it is. Uh, it is just a treat. Uh, and I'm, I'm again running into this thing. Yeah, where different things like, I want to say, but I don't want to because you're about to go watch it. You are you you're you're keeping your your tone pretty consistent, but your face is just lighting up. <laughs> oh, well, and I will say, there's a. This is one of those. This is this Oscar season's. Every Oscar season, there's a movie where there's like um, an acting category brouhaha. Mm. We are like, wait, why is that in that category? But that's in that category. And this year, that's the favorite. Um, because despite the fact that Emma and Rachel's characters are very much the subjects and um, and Olivia's Coleman is the object, Olivia is the only one of the three being run in lead mm. and Rachel and Emma are being run in supporting. And that is a bizarre thing on a number of levels, uh, because first of all, Rachel and Emma are both huge fucking stars, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas Olivia Coleman is relatively unknown in America. Right. More and of a TV act- actress, no? Absolutely, especially British TV, mm-hmm. like Broadchurch. Um, right. And so she is exactly the kind of actress who could fucking sweep supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Um, like, sweep it. Like, I think it could be hers to lose. If they ran her in supporting, but instead they're pushing her in lead where I feel like she doesn't have a fucking chance. Like when you watch the movie, you'll see like she's not the lead. Like she is of the three characters. She is by far the least. And that's uh, a studio decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's like studios working with along with the actors being like, where do you want to be? Wow. And um, and maybe it was like Emma and Rachel both being like, we already have Oscars. Let's push her in mm-hmm. lead. You know, we, we you know, don't need this. Um, but uh, but yeah, I feel like it's going to work against them. Um, although I will point out while I'm thinking about it, today, the New York Film Critics Circle, the day we're taping this, the NYFCC released their best of the year. Did you see this? Mm-mm. And can I just say, they gave best actress to Regina Hall for Support the Girls and best supporting actress to Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Really? Yes. Wow. I, for one, welcome our new Regina overlords. <laughs> well, which is Regina means queen. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, look, you Catholic. I'm dabbled. Wow. Yes. So I, I celebrate that. That reminds me. It's time to start thinking about that best of the year list. Huh? It sure is. We're going to yeah. be doing that episode coming up soon. We are going to. We are going to. Yes. And uh, spoiler alert, the favorite will for sure be in my top five. Unless something amazing happens. With what? I, I don't know. Our equipment breaks and we don't do one. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we do an episode, it will be it in will my be. top five. Otherwise, I'll post about somewhere else about it being in my top five. It's but, the pick of the week. You're yeah. giving it a binge, I assume. Yes. I'll then, let you know in moments. Yeah, I can't wait. Please do. Maybe I'll like take this mic home and just record yeah. a, a monologue afterwards. Right. And just be like, Jason's wrong. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, the favorite is rated R for strong sexual content, nudity, and language. That brings us to our second movie this week, Roma, a story that chronicles a year in the life of a middle-class family in Mexico City in the early 1970s. Roma. Um, a triumph of film, of heart, of cinema. Uh, if you see it on the big screen, it is. Yeah? Oh, is this, an, is this a Netflix dig? This is a Netflix dig. Uh, it does seem like a waste of like cinematic prowess, no? It, it is comical it is a comically mismatched partnership between film and distributor like the idea of someone watching this on their phone makes me physically angry Mm. it is horrifying to imagine someone watching this on their phone is it having a theatrical release 
it's having yeah a limited theatrical release, which Netflix is his Netflix is finally buckled um, and has been doing limited theatrical releases for some of their more notable award season titles. And that doesn't do well for their business, also. I mean, apparently not. Hmm. I think it's probably costing them more money than it's making them. Hmm. Um, so they're not keen to do it. And plus, I think they feel like it's like betraying their business model to do it. Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, yeah, Roma is not only is it ridiculous to try watching like on your device or even I would say at home um, on your TV uh, due to how it was shot in like 65 millimeter. Mm. It is, you know, the most gorgeously photographed <clears throat> movie. It's all these epic vistas and tableaus, um, massive widescreen shots, with just slow pans back and forth across these amazingly composed images of scenes of beauty and destruction. And um, so not only is it that, but it's also pretty fucking slow. Mm, um, so you don't want to be distracted. Lock up your phones if you're watching this at home, because mm. you will grab that phone so many times, especially in the first half hour. Or so it takes a good 35, 40 minutes to really start to develop momentum in any form. Um, it's a very leisurely film and mm. it's so quiet. There's no score at all. There's barely even any like incidental music. Uh, and there's seems like such a weird, mess. and there's not yeah. a lot of dialogue. It's in black and white. Uh, so it is, it is ridiculous. And Coron, Alfonso Coron has said that he just feels like Netflix let him do this and they didn't pay for it. Um, uh, there was a participant, some studio, some production company paid for it, but he's like, well, you know, Netflix is where else could I take a movie like this? A movie that's like 130 minutes long in black and white in, in, you know, in, uh, Spanish and mixed tech and like. Where else could I put a movie like this out where, you know, nothing really happens? And and so it, some of them just like, don't sell yourself short off on Coron. Yeah, I mean, it has your name uh, attached to it, which uh, is, I think, a huge boost over over yeah. that same movie. Although, um, fun, embarrassing fact. Um, so this entire time, uh, since seeing Roma for the first time two months ago at TIFF, ding, I mm. have had a grudge against it, um, partially because of the Netflix factor. Mm-hmm. But then also, because I was like, you know what, Afonso Cuaron, like, fucking give it a rest already. Why are you such a show-off tryhard? Mm. You have two fucking Best Director Oscars. You won them back-to-back. Like, this is enough already. Fucking enough. Like, okay, you can do it all. We get it. And then, just today, um, I was reading an interview with him, uh, and it said, like, oh, for Cuaron's first film since Gravity. And I was like, it's not his first film since Gravity. I was like, he did like The Revenant and he did Birdman. I had confused him with Alejandro and Yuritu. Wow. So I'm going to put that out there and own it. Wow. I'm not proud of it. But it, can I just say it literally felt like I was like, I felt the the anger drain from my body <laughs> when I realized it was not Alejandro and Yuritu. I mean, and I was like, like, he just got the Oscar for The Shape of Water. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, for, for him, I don't make the confusion. <laughs> I don't know if it's an if it's an Alejandro Alfonso thing, but uh, but yeah, I was like fully thinking like this is that same fuckhead who won back to back Best Director Oscars for Birdman and The Revenant, um, neither film of which I loved, um, one of which I openly despise, The Revenant, uh, and now he's gonna do this personal quiet black and white memoir. Uh, see, I'm trying to say it right, memoir. You know what, Jason. As a as a uh, 
a, a person of color, mm-hmm. as someone um, with a, uh, uh, my dad is from Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had let me speak at all in the past two minutes, <laughs> I would have said about this Netflix thing. You, you know, this is a director who's known for these big shots like in Birdman. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Aww. what you get for being loud white I, nonsense. I was just too busy beating myself up. <laughs> could have just let you jump in and just jump in the ditch with me. You could have. As you get for steamrolling. <laughs> I can't win for losing, I'll tell you. <laughs> So when I realized that it's not Alejandro Iñárritu, uh, I see what we did there. Then I suddenly it was like literally I felt the poison leave my body, and I was like, oh, and I was like, well, what else has Cuaron done? And then I was like, oh right, like Itu Mama Tambien, and uh, that one good Harry Potter movie, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, and Little Princess, and I was like, oh right, I love this guy. <laughs> I love Quaron. <laughs> I've even met him for Gravity. But I think that does make make it make more sense because when, like, literally, I was about to, to say when you were when he was like, "Who would let me do this?" I would. I was thinking like, you just came off of these two giant fucking <laughs> movies. What are you talking about? Anybody would you would make so much money in the theater? Am I? Am I? Do I not understand how this works? Who gave us a movie podcast? I have no idea. We shouldn't have one. I should. I shouldn't be. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, so okay, well, I'm glad that we're on we're on the same page in terms of being embarrassing. I mean, mine's probably because I'm relatively ignorant about film, and oh, you're sure. just racist. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fine. I'm yeah. fine with those designations. <laughs> so, uh, so rename po- our podcast. So, point being, the I, racist and the idiot. I'm now much less um um crotchety and cranky about Roma than I was early as of this morning, <laughs> or even as of noon. So, do you think you watch it again now? Well, I've now seen it twice. Um, cause but, I wa- but now I post the revelation. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll watch it to be like, oh, this is beautiful now. Mm-hmm. Now I think this is great. Um, oh, Children of Men. That's what else he did. Children oh. of Men, which is, of course, one of the best movies mm-hmm. ever made. So, and I'm just like, how? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I love every movie this guy's ever made. So now I should watch it because I'll just, I just won't have like my fucking knives out when I watch it. Like, oh, make any mistake. Go ahead. Now I'm just like, oh, it's stunningly profound and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it is, um, inspired by, um, Cuaron's own upbringing growing up in Mexico city in the early seventies. And, um, it is, um, so here's the thing. It's kind of like an art house Mexican version of the help because, uh, because that was something about, you know, the woman who wrote it, the one who wrote the book, the help Catherine Stockton or whatever, um, wrote it as like a tribute to Mm, the mm -hmm. the domestics that raised her. And this similarly, um, is his sort of like autobiographical uh, reimagining of his childhood, but told from the point of view of the, the maid who raised him, the nanny who raised him, um, who in real life was named Lebo, and the film was named Cleo. She was an indigenous woman. Um, his family had was more light skinned European descended Mexicans, and uh, and then she uh, he just kind of just imagined all these. He remembered all these moments from his childhood, and then tried to picture them from her point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so that's kind of what happens over the course of the film. And he's they even filmed it using his his family's real furniture that they oh, had wow. at the time. They filmed it in all the real places. These things happened. Um, and uh, and it, yeah, it's just sort of his imagining of you know. And he she's still alive. Lebo his his in the nanny. And he worked with her extensively while he was working on the writing of the story to get her side of things and her points of view of things. 
And uh, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's a love letter to her. And I think the movie is still ultimately a little too kind of rosy about like, oh, you know, like, oh, well, yes, of course, there are class differences. And, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and she's much more dark skinned than them and her, you know, so she interfaces with the world differently. She has different things projected on her. Um, she has no money. Um, she has to dote after this annoying rich family all the time. But like. He definitely is sort of like, we all loved her. She was our family. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, so it definitely mm-hmm. kind of like lands at that. It doesn't really dwell on any um, any sort of, you know, resentment she might have had or any sort of injustice in just the very structure. Mm. Uh, like it doesn't have any questions about that at all. Um, it's very much just like, she's our family. We love her. We're there for her. She's there for us. Um, and um, and it's kind of the movie's, <laughs> the movie's main takeaway is that men ain't shit. Uh, because basically <laughs> Cleo has um, a fuckboy to kind of wreck her life just as um, uh, the Alfonso's mother character is having their father walk out on the family. And so so in that way, it's sort of like a you know female empowerment story of, um, of the mother and the maid uh, kind of, you know, um, becoming closer and, you know, and, and as the, the men in their lives abandon them. So there's a lot here to admire. I do wish that there had just been some inkling to be like, yeah, and also, you know, like there's there's just a sort of a power imbalance mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. inherent to this that's problematic, um, and uh, but that's not something that Quan was interested in looking at. Mm-hmm. So, and um, you know, and I'm sure he would be like, well, she didn't say anything like that when I was asking her those questions. I was like, right. well, yeah, because you're gonna make a movie about her, so she's not gonna choose now to be like, and also, I always hated you guys, <laughs> you little fucks. <laughs> just because you have lighter skin than me, you get to just tell me what to do all day. Come on. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, so it's, it is though, there's, there's some, some of the most spectacular centerpiece scenes in this movie that you'll see in any movie this year. It's just, yeah, Bravura filmmaking from Quaron, not Inuri 2, Quaron. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm much more relaxed with saying that it's good now than I was a few hours ago. Amazing. What a journey that we've all come to, to have truly, here. Truly, truly. Some, some, uh, louder than others. Mm-hmm. Um, you're giving this a binge it binge it but it didn't make pick of the week no I still like the favorite better and, <laughs> and when you watch the favorite you will see exactly Damn why it. it's in 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 40 in, no in 20 minutes I will see the favorite and I will let you know yes um, Roma is rated R for disturbing content involving ritualistic violence bloody images and graphic nudity it's a short episode guys I have to go to the movies that's the Suspiria one you again you <laughs> <laughs> I saw ritualistic <laughs> violence and I was like, I haven't seen it. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. So it's uh, probably rated R for something else. <laughs> Uh, that's it that's it thank you so much for listening um thank you jason for um not spoiling the favorite for me that's right um if you can find jason uh, on twitter at excess baggage i'm at fight balance thank you so much bye guys bye-bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there, there goes, goes the, the binge, binge.